I think we have to be easy on ourselves during these times. And it's really hard. As founders, we want to be superhuman. I think it's part of our makeup that in everything we do, we want to be amazing at it. But it's impossible when our environment is stripping us of that possibility on a day-to-day basis. Welcome to Hypercurious, a show that is all about finding happiness by embracing changes and following our curiosity. My name is Beta Luca. I'm a BAFTA-winning serial entrepreneur, angel investor, and multi-hyphenate. Each week, I unveil the most intriguing aha moments and leaps of learnings of successful leaders, founders, authors, and artists, and how they achieve incredible things by staying hypercurious. Today we talk to Anouk Aguso, founder and CEO of Unleashed, a consultancy supporting businesses on all things people, culture and leadership. Anouk and her team worked with over 80 high growth startups, scale-ups, VCs and accelerators across a huge variety of sectors in the UK and Europe. In this episode, you in for a treat. It's a fantastic masterclass in everything people and culture, and I loved every bit of this conversation. So make sure you stay tuned until the end. Anouk, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm really excited to be here, Vita. Oh, me too. You are the founder and CEO of Unleashed, which helps businesses on everything, all matters around people and culture. And I love how daring you present yourselves uh, when it comes to challenging the traditional ways of looking at HR. Can you tell us a little bit about Unleashed Mission and why you believe HR is dead? Absolutely. So our mission is to help startups and scale-ups to scale and to scale successfully and sustainably. One of the reasons that I founded the business is that we'd seen too many businesses get to Series B and Series C and really have to restructure and turn themselves upside down to fix people-related symptoms. And I just thought that there had to be a much better way uh, for businesses to be able to scale. So that's our mission. We want to create you know, successful startups that scale well and to create you know, amazing work lives for the individuals that work within those businesses. HR is dead because HR, if we think of the traditional sense, is transactional, is compliance driven, is all about policies. And it kind of takes me back to a computer says no era, um, which we know doesn't exist anymore. And actually people and culture, which we're finding out more is most definitely a trend that we've seen, is starting to become really emergent in progressive businesses as one of the core three strategies that early stage businesses need to have. So product development, your commercial slash revenue strategy and your people strategy. And how how are those employees getting more involved into that? How do you see the, because of course, in the beginning, it's all about the founders and the founding team, right? And then as you hire more, then how do you make all of the, the workforce invested in or fully vested into, into the, the people matters? So there's a, a million different ways in which you can get people engaged. The main thing that you need to start doing is very early identify what kind of culture you want as a business, 
when you grow up. Like, you know, the whole who, who do I want to be when I grow up applies to businesses as much as it does to people. And it's from a leader's perspective, it, what do you want to be seeing? What do you want to be hearing? What do you want to be feeling in your business when you're 100 people, 200 people, 500 people, whatever it might be? And then starting to act really intentionally. So your behaviors need to align with your intentions is the number one piece. And then so documenting everything. So if I am a leader who believes in a particular type of culture, how am I going to create that? What are my values? What are the behaviors I expect? What's our purpose? What's our vision? And in fact, purpose and vision come before the values and the behaviors. And this is to scale culture, right? Think of it as a drumbeat, uh, develop all the managers and then involve the teams in collaboration and in asking. So we believe in um, design thinking when it comes to people, because we see people experience as a product, much like customer experience from a product perspective or user experience. So you need to talk to your customers, right? Who are your team? So find out what they like, what they don't like, what's working, what's not working, and then design with them in mind. I know I'm covering a whole lot of bases here because the next thing I'm going to say is that's the reason why we fundamentally don't believe as well that one framework can just be applied from one business to another business to another business and be successful because it's different people, different culture. So you need to really tailor to the your users. Yeah, the tailoring bit is, is, resonates a lot with me and what I've seen and even seeing myself as well as a founder, right? We, we usually index very high on the big vision, which is, you know, sometimes very conceptual, but sometimes we do struggle to to bring that back into the day-to-day and be a great people managers as well. So what, what is your pro tip for, for people who want to develop those skills to connect the dots? Or should we just, you know, say, okay, I need to delegate to someone who will actually help me join those dots? Yeah, I mean, I think firstly, you can't delegate culture. That needs to be led by example. And that's from everybody in the business, but particularly the leadership team and particularly the founders. And I'm actually a very strong advocate of, in the early days, the founders working out what the company values are and they can evolve and they can progress. But if they don't come from the founders and the founders don't live by them and don't role model them, they're just a load of rubbish, to be honest. And they're quite a pointless uh, exercise that's happened or, or that you've gone through. The pro tip is hire people who are very much aligned with what you are trying to do and support them through storytelling to identify the journey of what that's going to look like going forward and make sure that everybody that joins the business is then aligned to that journey. And that's important. Everybody has to find meaning and purpose, especially in this day where people find less connection with individuals, which was, it was one of the core reasons why people would join a team or would stay with a team. It's because of my team. It's because of the friends I've got. It's because my manager's great or vice versa. They'd leave for exactly the same reasons, but in the opposite now you have to find connection to the business. So articulating that vision is really important. You're saying something so interesting that before, uh, when we were all in the office space, these connections were so much stronger with our peers and our managers. And now it feels like we are a little bit dispersed and, and disconnected and distracted uh, and overwhelmed, you know, with working from home and hybrid working. And could the vision and the culture hold everyone together still nowadays when we have those challenges to work from home? 
Yes, if it's genuine. If you are basing your culture, however, on the fact that it was beers and ping pong, then no, things are going to start falling apart. And that's definitely a trend that we are seeing. But for those cultures that were created from a strong sense of purpose and by leaders who have either developed their communication skills or who are generally good communicators and they keep that alignment, they keep that pace, they keep the velocity in the one direction, they make sure people know what's working, what's not working, and they're using their team for feedback, they're creating excellent cultures. It's never going to be the same as in the office for many different reasons, but it doesn't mean it can't be phenomenal. That's really important. It's just going to be different and not based on the free beer. Is there a practical thing that uh, founders and leaders can do to ensure that that is happening? There are all sorts of tools, but you could even use a Google survey or a type form. You don't have to necessarily spend a ton of money on tools. Some good ones that I've seen are Friday Vibes, which takes a really great, uh, like Friday almost like a rag status, red, amber, or green, how was your week? And that's really nice because at the moment when everything is changing so fast, one day you're feeling great and the next day you're feeling really miserable. Being able to take a weekly pulse that's super quick is great. So you see almost in kind of live. There's uh, the happiness index, there's Mo, there's Culture Amp. There are so many tools that can help kind of measure engagement but a, a number of open source surveys of asking the team questions or getting if you've got managers and you've got team meetings, asking questions and finding out the information, that can, can really help as well. And how have you been advising leaders to on the matter of motivation? How can they stay hyper-motivated, over-communicating, and so they can motivate their teams when everything outside is a little bit unmotivating at the moment? It's a massive challenge, and I felt that personally. You know, Unleashed is a small business, but there's a team of 10 there, and I've also been homeschooling. So for me to stay motivated, to stay energized, to be able to help motivate, motivate the team, that's been quite hard at times. The most important thing, I think, is to be vulnerable and to be actually open because that role models behaviours that you expect from your team. I know it's not that easy to do because certainly as leaders, when we feel that our team are down and we know that they're not feeling kind of pumped at the moment, we want to be like the all driving force and the all energy being. But if they don't feel that we're being genuine, then they're going to struggle to be genuine with us, which means that on days when they're not feeling their energy to be really productive or in the morning or in the afternoon or whenever it might be, they're going to be a little bit hidden from us and there's going to be a sense of something is not quite right. And long term, that creates definitely more problems than it does in the short term. I think leaders need to get support either from mentors or from coaches to be able to help themselves or people around them. And I think they need to be providing the same to their team as well. Um, and one of the trends actually that we've seen, um, I did an exercise with the team and we looked at the trends that we found over the last up to 12 months almost of what's been happening in businesses. And one of the things that we're seeing is that coaching is now becoming a lot more democratized. So people at all levels of a business are having access to get kind of additional support, whether that be coaching in terms of helping them to perform or be productive or whatever the goal might be, or whether that be more on the therapy side of things to really help them deal with mental health challenges that they might be suffering from. 
I've seen a number of leaders, and I've done this myself, obviously not intentionally, but sharing feelings about something and start to cry. And the impact that that has had on the rest of the team in terms of the support and the the desire to let's sort this out, let's fix this, um, has been amazing. You know, I shared with my team a real challenge that my son was having around his mental health and when he went into a very dark place and I didn't even know about it because my focus was the business. So my, you know, mum guilt, my, all of that, you know, was really challenged. And I started crying when I was telling my team that um, where my son was and where his head, head was at the time. And they all stepped up right? I could have not been in the business for a while because the way that they stepped up to enable me to be able to step up at home was insane. And I see this behavior replicating itself across businesses when leaders are vulnerable. It's just very hard to be because it doesn't feel that as a leader, I should not be leading and that they're actually taking over. Wow, this is so powerful. It requires a whole work on yourself to uh, to be able to be that transparent and open to your team, right? Work on self and trust with the team. Psychological safety is not to be underestimated, um, not just for the team, but also for leaders within the business that they can be open and that they can be seen as human and that's all right. Mm. And when you when you are in this situation right now where I came across a research the other day, that was talking about building trust, right? You just mentioned about trust and that uh, smiles and honest, uh, genuine smiles create trust. And because we have, you know, this connection via the screen and the technology is not so evolved that we can see even like the, the tiny crinkling of our eyes when we're genuinely smiling, right? And we're trying, exhaustively trying to kind of read the body language and read the signs and, you know, kind of play with our five senses that we used to do when we were, you know, face to face. How do you build trust and overcome those things when you are online and you're not able to be fully in your five senses and connect with people to build trust? It's much harder. I think one of the, a word that I'd like to see become a buzzword, but genuine is intentionality. And the reason why that's so important is because we know things are harder in remote environments and we shouldn't just be okay with accepting that that's the case. Well, fine, it's harder, therefore it's not as good. That's not right. We need to be really intentional about the kind of fixes that we put in place. So yes, with trust and building connection, it's absolutely far harder when you're in a remote environment, but it's far harder again if people have their cameras off, if people don't take the time to get to know each other, if onboarding isn't about building connections. One of the things that we are seeing talking about buzzwords is that asynchronous has become the word of the day. And basically, that's great. And actually, people need to be able to work and get things done when they need to work and get things done and have less meetings and not be so dependent on other people and their work. The problem that we face is that it decreases connection, which is really important. So if we take onboarding as an example, and I, I know that I talk a lot about this and this can be, be quite conceptual, so I'm trying to bring it down into something really practical. If we take onboarding, if before somebody starts in the business, 
already through the recruitment process. Hopefully they've met a number of people. If they're three stages, they should have met at least six different people from kind of a removing bias and, you know, all of the rest. So there are a number of things there. So they've met people already and started to build connections. But they're not fully themselves because they're going through an interview process. They're trying to put their best foot forward. And so is the business, in effect although we should be very open. Hmm. Then in the pre-onboarding, once they've been offered the role, it's really important actually that we engage people and it might, you know, for a lot of companies, I think, oh, it's just the nice things to do to send them a gift or, you know, a vest or a book or something. But actually it has a purpose beyond being nice. It starts to build that connection, starts to build that engagement and starts to decrease people's fear and anxiety around starting a new role and if your anxiety is reduced it means that you're more open to learning and you're more open to being yourself and therefore you're more open to building connections um, so it serves a really important purpose that pre-onboarding piece you should also send people what's the schedule going to look like for the first two weeks for them again that reduces anxiety because we all have a need for certainty for some of us it's more than others but we all have a, a, a neuroscientific need around certainty so it really helps people to think okay i know what i'm going to be doing even if you've tried to create a very asynchronous onboarding process where you send people links uh, links via internet of videos that you've filmed of this is our strategy this is our these are our values and how they come into play and other people in the team send videos of them saying hi my name's blah 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 you'll find me on slack if you need anything even if you've got everything documented people are still not building connections because they can't ask those questions so making sure that the manager always has time every single day to meet with that person who's starting making sure that they create something like a read me which we create a lot so who am i what motivates me cheat cheat to me so i send that to everybody that joins uh, unleashed and actually a lot of our clients do that as well now we take onboarding from a you look at it in three ways company team and individual onboarding and you work out slightly different programs for each of those things but there should be a lot of face time without making it exhausting because it's the only way to build that connection online otherwise it's impossible to do yeah i love that and so it requires so much intentionality as you're saying but so much care of each of those steps and training as well, right? Everyone involved from the people who are who are joining to the managers and to the, the peers, right? In the team as well. Everyone needs to be so involved and so trained and connected to making that happen. Yeah, including buddies, you know, something as simple mm. as buddies, which kind of used to be this, this concept of, oh, it's just a person that sits next to you. If you have any questions, then you can just ask them. But now actually it has to become a role Obviously not a role instead of another role that they're doing, but a role in addition to what they're doing. And people have to want that job. And there's a purpose that sits behind having that. And there's an impact that it has. And that person's checking in regularly and being proactive and not waiting for the new person to reach out to them because that's a really hard thing to do. It is. Yeah. And it feels like everyone needs to step up massively <laughs> across the organization to make this work, right? A hundred percent. It seems really difficult when everyone's feeling a little bit deflated that we require everybody to step up. But actually, one of the things that I've been talking a lot about recently is the importance of team resilience instead of individual resilience. And it's great as individuals if we can be resilient, but as an individual, we can only go so far 
Whilst if we have team resilience, we've always got each other's backs, which means that if one person's not feeling great one day, that's all right because somebody else is feeling really pumped and energetic, which means that as a team, we can perform far better. Mm, That's super interesting. Uh, Are there uh, kind of frameworks for that? Team resilience is predominantly built through making sure that psychological safety exists within teams. And there are a number of kind of different, maybe not frameworks. And if there are, I, I don't tend to go straight for a framework, so I'm not sure. There are definitely people that can help, psychologists, neuroscientists uh, that can help with building psychological safety. But there are a lot of individual things that businesses can do without needing to go externally for expertise unless they really don't have the capability or the competence internally. It mainly starts with talking and it mainly starts within one-to-ones and you can look at resilience again just like I did with onboarding where you have company, team and sorry psychological safety where you have company, team and at the individual level you can do the same thing when you're building psychological safety. So you start at the individual level. How safe do you and I as manager and person who reports into the manager uh, how safe do we feel talking to each other how comfortable are we talking about the challenges that we have how comfortable am I saying to you Beta, as my manager that actually there's something that I'm not getting done and I can't work out what the blocker is and how good are we at unblocking things together If we have a really good relationship and we've built that and that's through getting to know each other and there are a number of things that can be done for that, it then expands to the team level. You're the manager of the team. How good are we as a team about talking with the same things? Do we do uh, retrospectives and look at what went well, what could have um, gone better? Do we do blameless postmortems in a similar way of actually something really went to the pooper, if you like. It didn't go well at all. What happened? And really not looking at who happened, but looking at what did we not have in place that we should have had in place. So building that environment of it's all right for us to get things wrong because we're not going to be blamed is really important within a team. And then that expands to company level. So when somebody asks for help, or when somebody um, says that they don't know how to do something, or when somebody holds their hand up and said, I think I made a mistake, really celebrating those moments as being you know, really important moments. And that's how you can build psychological safety. Over time, it is never easy. I'm super curious about everything that you're saying. I, I literally making notes, <laughs> mental notes here, so I can follow up with uh, with other questions. I, I'm finding fascinating. Please go ahead. <laughs> so psychological safety is not easy to build, but the second thing that you can do is to try and encourage people to challenge ideas, especially ideas that you put forward as a leader. That can be really difficult for people if there isn't already psychological safety. So how do you build it? You ask for devil's advocate opinions you ask people to almost put different hats on, like, please, can you play the role of a founder? Please, can you play the role of an employee? Please, can you play the role of an investor? Whatever it might be, and we did this at the beginning, and therefore, they're coming at it from a different perspective, and because they feel that they're playing a role, it's not necessarily them that is challenging, it's the role type. As a leader, what you get from that is you get better perspectives and better ideas because people are feeling more comfortable to challenge because it's not them doing so, it's the hat that they're wearing. And if you ask for devil's advocate opinions, 
people can search for a challenge, which is actually going to always mean that you're going to have a better idea ultimately in any case. The last thing is it's really important to hear all of the voices in the room and make sure that everybody is listened to. Everybody will have an opinion and that's, it's really important that we hear all of those and share those stories. Some people don't like going first. They like to wait till the end and that's fine. It's your role to understand who likes to talk. Sometimes get them to go first so that they can then be quiet and listen because that way they won't be focused on what they've got to say. They'll be listening and those people who prefer to listen before they speak, you can get them to go last. But if you're doing an ideation session, for example, get everybody to prepare things in advance so that everybody brings their thoughts to the table, they can share them, and then you go around the room. And if you're on Zoom or something like that, you can go square by square and go around and ask people to share their thoughts and their opinion. And doing those three different things that are all kind of practical and things that, that you can do in a business will mean that over time, psychological safety will start to increase. I really love that because it, it really puts a lower pressure on people to act differently, right? Or, or to act like themselves because it's just role playing and it makes it more playful, more fun and more hopefully reduces this barrier of I need uh, how, how am I going to be perceived by others when I'm challenging something about them, right? So let's uh, talk a little bit about this kind of boundaries being blurred. I tend to go sometimes into a mode of hyper flexibility and I, I end up overwhelmed with work, working like 24-7. And sometimes I gravitate to a lot of structure. And with structure, it means that I go into Groundhog Day. So it feels like it's more of the same every day. What is the advice that you, you would give for everyone who's listening to us right now who have been, you know, struggling with establishing those boundaries? Firstly, to keep on trying. Um, I think it's really difficult to establish that. Well, actually, it's not difficult to set them. It's really hard to stick to them. And we, we all have those challenges. I don't know how many times I've reorganized my calendar to say, right, in these blocks of times, I'm not going to have meetings. And in these blocks of times, it's for my team. And then actually something comes up and we uh, need to reorganize. I think we have to be easy on ourselves during these times. And it's really hard. As founders, we want to be superhuman. I think it's part of our makeup that in everything we do, we want to be amazing at it. But it's impossible when our environment is stripping us of that possibility on a day-to-day -day basis because sometimes we'll wake up feeling great, sometimes we'll wake up feeling rubbish, and we actually need to lean into our energy when we have it. So there is no simple answer when it comes to that. It's keep on trying. Eventually, you'll find something that works for you. And eventually, if it is a routine, because typically when you establish boundaries, it is about creating structure and creating routine, hopefully it's going to be one that is inspiring and fun. So instead, perhaps, of putting in place in your calendar, I'm going to go for a run between 7 and 7.30 in the morning, perhaps instead it's any form of exercise, but it happens at that time so that you can actually perhaps to dance around the kitchen one day instead, or perhaps it's a walk, or perhaps it's a swim in the sea if you're lucky to live close to well, the sea or a lake or something like that. So actually you're mixing up your routine, if that makes sense, to keep things alive, but you still have structure in place so that you know what's happening. 
That's a great, great, great tip. And how, how, what is your experience by working with companies of coaches that evolve and change as the company grows, right? And, and some coaches still continue to be very healthy and others might go into a toxic behavior. So wh- how could founders and leaders prevent their culture to go into a toxic, toxic one and stay on the healthy side of things? So it's very typical for businesses and processes to change as businesses grow. And what we typically see happening where cultures become a little bit more toxic is where companies implement process and policy in order to control because leadership feel either a little bit out of control, that they don't know what's going on anymore. When there were 10 people, everybody knew everything, but now it's too hard to know that. Or managers aren't confident and competent, which means that they need to rely on policy or process in order to be able to have conversations because that's the structure that they fall back upon, which isn't good, by the way, (laughs) Um, just so that everybody's clear that I'm not saying that that's the way it should be. So the way to avoid uh, implementing process for control is to A, stop thinking about process and B, start thinking about practice. So I always talk about trialing new practices instead of implementing new processes. And immediately as you trial something, you get feedback on it because you A, you're putting it into place as a trial and therefore people are more receptive to try things than to have something new kind of put upon them. Therefore, you're able to gather feedback, which means that you can see if it's actually working or if it's not working. And it gives you the opportunity to evolve and tweak it. It also gives you the opportunity to take it away if it hasn't worked at all without kind of, oh, another change. Oh, this didn't work again, because it was always a trial in the first place. So as when a business is small, I think the most important thing a business can do is think, and I mentioned this earlier, but think about the kind of culture that they want to have when they're bigger and start to put in behaviors and values and policies and processes that align to that and continue growing them. When they recruit new managers, onboarding a manager, whether it's a new manager or whether it's promotion within the business or progression within the business, the role of a manager is absolutely critical to being part of the ripple effect that helps culture scale. So if a manager understands how the values come to life, they can help their team to understand. Having a lot of clarity, and this is why writing things down is so important, but having a lot of clarity on what's expected is probably the number one thing any leader can do, whether that's kind of what we expect from a company, what we expect from a team, or again, what we expect from an individual. You can see I break things down in my mind in the same kind of funnel is critical. So if it's a role, for example, This is what great looks like. And I take three A's when I think about performance. So it's ability, action, and attitude. So if we start with action first, what are we expecting people to achieve in their roles? What do we want them to do? What do we want them to get done? So it's all the stuff that they are achieving from an action perspective. Ability is their skills and their knowledge. What do they need to know? What skills do they need to have? And attitude is their motivation, it's their behaviors, it's the the values alignment, all of that. If you can identify a number of bullet points within those three headers, the highest performers will be the ones that are able to 
bring that Venn diagram and they feel that kind of intersection in the middle because they've got all three. They're not just high performers in terms of achieving things, but actually they're awful people, right? They cover the lot. That needs to then get reverberated. So managers need to talk about individuals around, this is what great looks like in your role. Then they need to be really clear around, this is how you're performing against that. Which areas do we need to support you in to develop? And then they need to create individual development plans against that. So from a cultural perspective, what's important is that the same, and I use drumbeat a lot these days, the same drumbeat is carried on through no matter who is playing the drum, in effect, as the business grows. And that's how you can create, keep businesses going in the direction of having strong, healthy cultures versus toxic cultures. Just a, like a really small point, actually, it's an important point. Toxic and healthy, I think we, under, we understand what we're talking about with toxic and healthy, but there's no right or wrong culture necessarily. And I think that's really important. I think that the wrong culture is one that's inauthentic, but you could be an awful, what I would consider an awful leader, one who only cares if their employees work from seven o'clock in the morning through to 11 o'clock at night, otherwise they're not performing. One who is only driven by targets and, you know, and inputs is really important, not the output, whatever it might be. You could be what we would otherwise consider awful, but still have a really good culture because you've recruited people who align to that and who are going to thrive in that kind of environment because they themselves are also individualistic and competitive and driven by the stick rather than the carrot, for example. So you just need to be really authentic and true to who you are and grow your business in line with that as well. So let's talk a little bit about hiring, right? Uh, we, we're now in a, in a situation that we might go into a hybrid mode or stay, some companies will stay working from home forever, but that opens up to, for us to hire from anywhere in the world. And of course, that also, you know, it's a great benefit, but also, you know, the challenge is that how do you stand out from the crowd as a company to attract the best talents for your business? Have you noticed any kind of benchmark companies that have been doing this very well that we can learn from? It's really tough because I think at the moment we're not yet in the ways of working that we're going to be. So we've gone from, except for a handful of companies, mainly in the office to completely out of the office. And we haven't now yet, because we're still in kind of this pandemic state, we haven't yet really settled on what, and I hate the term, but what on the new normal is going to look like. And it's not until that point in time that we can really strongly identify what it is that we have to do as a business because we haven't yet worked out what works for us. It's a massive opportunity for businesses that they can recruit talent from everywhere in the world. I think that's fantastic because you're not limited to your local market. It comes with its own challenges around how do you pay? You know, do you pay everybody the same amount when no matter where they are in the world? Or actually, do you pay market rates? Businesses that before the, the pandemic, when they had a number, like a few people salt and peppered kind of remotely, they were often left out of conversations, of meetings. You know, they were in roles where they didn't almost need to be with the rest of the team because they worked independently. Big businesses that were remote first, like GitHub, you know, they only hired very senior, experienced people 
they didn't hire junior people for a very long time. And when they started hiring more junior people, they started to create hubs. So even remote first businesses like GitHub now have hubs in different parts of the world where people can come together and work because of the impact on on who you can hire and, and how you hire. So there are lots of challenges. I think every business has to work out what they're going to look like future state before they then decide, okay, how are we going to attract those people to work in our business? Because there'll be different people with different kinds of skills. One of the things that we're we're seeing, we've spotted kind of 15 different trends that are happening now since, since the pandemic kind of started. One of the things that we're seeing and actually um, is something that really concerns me is that when it comes to junior people in a business, they're being hired less and less. People with uh, businesses, if they can afford them, are hiring more senior people because they're experienced in the world of work and they don't have to learn what it's like to work full time. They don't have the opportunity right now to absorb all of that learning through osmosis, which was what was happening in the office, in an office environment. So now a junior person can find it really daunting. So they're, they're not being hired anymore. 18 to 24 year olds are the age group who have seen a decrease in employment. They're the, the age group that's in the highest levels of decrease in employment, if that makes sense. And that's really concerning for our future. And I think as founders, we have a responsibility to be, and here comes that word again, super intentional when it comes to crafting really strong learning practices, not just for everybody, not for just junior people, but we need to start investing far more in learning than I think anything else. And that's definitely what we're going to see coming in the future. That's such a good point. Again, it's another challenge, right? Another one thing, big thing that we need to do as leaders and founders to make sure that we we grow our culture in the right manner, but also contribute to the wider society. Yeah, there, there, are, there yeah. are so many challenges, Vita, that, you know, what I'm really thankful for, actually, is... I'm loving Clubhouse, where loads of entrepreneurs like yourself come together to be able to share their experiences, listening to podcasts like the ones that you've been doing all of this time. I think we need to learn more from each other as founders and not feel that we're alone with all of these challenges and talk talk to each other more when we've got the time. I agree. <laughs> We, yeah, we, we're trying to carve more time to have meaningful conversations like this and on Clubhouse, right, which is great. So, yeah, gladly the tools are here for us to try to embrace that. Speaking of uh, hiring senior roles, you, you, you talk a lot about diversity in building a team. I wonder what are your thoughts around the fact that the numbers or the number of people who are the majority, like, you know, the men and like number, number of women, let's just talk about, talk about women for a moment, right? Number of women leaders is lower than men leaders in certain areas of technology. How do we change that? And can we have the power as startups to sometimes take a little bit longer to hire someone when we're really pressing for high growth of our companies? How, how do you view that? It starts so young. When my son was in primary school and he joined like the coding club when he was seven, there was not one single girl in the coding club at primary school. And that was at the age of seven, right? So let alone how that then progresses through as we grow. I mean, that's a society thing. 
that actually there is a responsibility to change and we all as individuals have a responsibility to change, but it's very difficult and it's not easy and it's going to take a lot of time. We do have power as startups to hire, we have power and we have a responsibility to hire diverse teams because we have a responsibility to build cultures that are inclusive in order to sustain diversity. I think you've got to start where I talk about inclusion and diversity rather than diversity and inclusion because you have to start with inclusion. Otherwise, the diversity is tokenistic and certainly not sustainable over a period of time. You have to be really proactive. It's not easy. But I don't think that as founders or any founder or leader, I don't think they're ever choosing an easy route in creating their business. And therefore, they shouldn't choose the easy route in terms of hiring either or in terms of anything that they do. Yes, there are enough challenges on their plate. Yes, they're growing fast. But if you start thinking about it from the very beginning, it makes it far easier. I I get a lot of pushback. Well, we're too small. We can't really be diverse because of our size. It's not until we have a few hundred people that we can really look at this. And it's much harder to turn an oil tanker than it is to turn a speedboat. So when it is the early days, they're the times to establish really strong practices around how do you source the people who are coming, who you who are part of your shortlist for hiring. And there are so many different groups now, women in tech, aiders list, Uh, They're just two that come to mind, but I'm sure there are about 100 others that actually we could go to to actively promote our roles rather than just be passive as hiring managers or leaders and sticking our roles up on LinkedIn and seeing who comes. Actually go to the groups that you want uh, to join your business and make a song and dance and make a noise and talk about your role and talk about your company. So you've got to put in the hard yards. It's not easy, but don't let it sit there. So speaking of policies, uh, you, uh, you talk about uh, the impact that uh, parental uh, leave policies in the UK has on our careers and our family dynamics. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Because I think it's fascinating the way that you look at things and the way that you also compare with other countries who are doing much better than the UK. So I think uh, parental leave policies in the UK are inherently, well, gendered parental leave policies, I should say. So your maternity, your paternity, they are inherently biased and they are part of problems that we see within society around gender imbalance at home and in the workplace as well. If we had non-gendered parental policies, so whether you're the mum or whether you're the dad, you can have the same amount of time off, if we looked at it from the child's perspective of their right to be able to have both, if they have both parents at home, whether that's mother, father, you know, however that's made up, whether the child is adopted as well, that shouldn't matter. The the rights of the child to have as many parents as they possibly can (laughs) have at home. And also the, the responsibilities that we have as a society to help bring up our children, understanding that mums and dads can do both things, can do everything, are able to share work, are able to share households. Right now, our children absolutely are growing up thinking that mum is the one who does the rearing of the children because mum is the one who can take a year off work. 
dad gets a whopping two weeks, which is ridiculous when you take the time to think about it, right? You don't even have to take much time to think about it. It's just ridiculous. So um, I'm just a really strong believer in we should look at the Scandinavian Nordic countries far more where they have significantly greater parental rights. They think of it from the perspective of the child. Fathers and mothers can take off a, a big chunk of time and we should do more of that. And I strongly believe that actually our startups have the power here, all businesses have the power here to influence government policy because if loads of us were giving any parent six months off, right, whether they were the mother or the father, ideally paid, but there are some limitations to that. But if every parent had the right to have time at home with their children, that would influence policy in government because people would be doing it anyway. What we've seen is that shared parental leave, on the other hand, hasn't worked. So that was supposed to help you can't start with a policy, right? You've got to start with feeling the impact of the change and then that should drive policy. So the shared parental leave, I think around between two and 5% of people who have taken up on that, so, so fathers where they can spend more time at home, it's looked down upon by employers. We, we have someone that we're close to Unleashed who she's decided to return to work and he has taken shared parental leave so that he can have uh, time at home with their child. And he is being, not bullied isn't the right word at all, but he's certainly been, um, his boss is really questioning his decision and how committed he is to the company because he's decided to be at home more. Um, so that needs to change. I think that there's a, there's a real bias within parental leave that needs to shift. Yeah, that's a real shame. And, and I agree with you. I think it's it's on our powers to for all the new companies that are being built, that we set the tone, that we can we can indeed uh, yeah, establish whatever policy it's right for, for our company and for the future of society. So I, I, I 100% agree with you that that needs to change. And and even that perception, the, the, the judgment of uh, who, who takes the time off, right? I, I really hope that we are in the right track as, uh, as found, especially in the technology businesses I personally at Boss have changed as well we have uh, we, we're not yet in equal manners but we have uh, we have three months for dads and uh, and the, the normal one for moms but it, it's a process so Anouk I'm loving this conversation I have one last question to you which is all about what Hypercurious is about what are you mostly curious about at the moment well two things so neuroscience is something that I am absolutely passionate about so not just neuroscience generally but how the brain works and how that can impact us as companies and as leaders by knowing that and therefore how can we help our teams if we understand how their brains work and we see lots of evidence even just in giving feedback if you take neuroscience into into account the difference that that makes in people's application of the feedback that you provide the other thing that i'm really interested in and it's just a personal passion is um nutrition and I've always been interested in nutrition, but I'm looking to starting a nutritional degree off the side of my desk. I love learning new things and getting engrossed, but I'm sure, you know, in a couple of weeks, there'll be something else that I start to get really passionate about just because like I've got a, a, a thing that behind me that says, I wonder what happens next. And it's my favorite thing. Oh, it's like this, love it. <laughs> this excitement about not knowing what's coming up next and almost how wonderful and exciting that is, although with summer coming, 
<laughs> I'm happy that that's that <laughs> happening as well. <laughs> We're gonna we're gonna go outside, right, and have some beers and wine outside. You know that that reminded me of uh, David Bowie's quote. On uh, he said he used to say, "I don't know where I'm going, but I know for sure it's not gonna be boring." I love that. <laughs> I, I love quotes. Like my my team will tell you that I'm constantly coming out with different quotes, and my two favorite ones that I've had forever are: "You'll miss a hundred percent of the shots that you don't take." So I'm a big believer in just going for it. And the last one is you can't stop the waves, but you can learn to surf. They're not just brilliant quotes. I like to think that I truly live my life by those. And I think it connects to, to everything that you said is uh, I'm sure that everyone was listening to us. They have had like a lot of, hopefully you all took great notes out of that. I think I, I learned a lot from you today and I can see why, because, you know, you are a hyper curious person who's, you know, connected to what is next and learning more and sharing more. So I love that. Any last message that you want to share with the, with everyone who's listening to us, anything that people want to, you want to point people to a particular article or website, we, we're going to put your website on, on our show notes anyway, but uh, any, any last message you want to share? Yeah, I think if, um, very briefly, it's pointing people to a podcast that the Live Better, Live More, uh, Dr. Rongan Chatterjee, he released it on the 1st of January. It's, it absolutely floored me. It was an episode with Dr. Edith Eager, who is a 93-year-old psychologist. She's a Holocaust survivor. And she talks in that about, not only about that story, but about how she saw at the time when she was 16 in Auschwitz potential opportunities that could come from being there, which absolutely blows my mind. And she talks to the power of being human and not trying to be superhuman, which is definitely a lesson that I've been trying to learn this year. And I recommend everybody that I speak to. <laughs> I think people in my team especially are very sick of me talking about it. But I recommend everybody that I speak to to listen to that episode because it's just mind-blowing. Amazing. I will check it out as well. I love listening to other podcasts. So thank you for that. Thank you, Anouk. It's been a pleasure talking to you and I'll see you soon. I've loved it. Thank you so much, Bida. Thank you so much for listening so far. Make sure that you listen to other episodes. You can go to hypercurious.fm. And if you want to stay in touch, I'm around. I'm on LinkedIn. I'm on Twitter. I'm on Instagram. You just search for my name and you're going to find me. If you love this conversation and more, make sure that you also do a five star and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts if that's your preferred podcast app. It will mean the world to me. For now, ciao, ciao.